Welcome to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast where seeing things differently inspires limitless possibilities. This podcast is being brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marsley. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marsley, and today we are talking about self-advocacy and basically a group of us who have had to advocate for ourselves due to our visual impairment. And I'm excited to welcome to the episode, Clement, Nika, and Colby. Welcome back, everybody. Hi. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. Hi. Why don't you each just uh, remind us a little bit about yourself and your vision? Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Clement Chow. I am from Vancouver, and I am currently a youth mentor and general volunteer at large with Blind Beginnings. And I have a condition called Nori disease, which uh, resulted in my congenital total blindness. Hi, I'm Colby. I live on trail, and I... Um, have a genetic condition called Alzheimer's syndrome, and I have lost all my sight for that. Hi, I'm Nika. I'm 20 years old. I've been involved in Blind Beginnings for the past few years volunteering, and my eye condition is called Peter's Anomaly, which has left me with partial sight, mostly in my left eye. And of course... <laughs> I'm Sean, and I grew up with retinitis pigmentosa, so have gradually lost my vision throughout my childhood and have basically light perception with a little bit, a little bit of fuzzy shapes in the peripheral vision. So why did you folks want to talk about advocacy today? Why is this an important topic to you? For me, I think the main thing was that when I was younger, I was really nervous to advocate for myself. And it's just something that I didn't really enjoy doing. And now it's not that I enjoy doing it. But now that I'm older, I kind of know the importance of it more. And just knowing the type of career I want to work in, like sciences, I know I'm going to have to advocate for myself for like any accommodations proving I can do stuff and it's kind of just something that I've you know accepted that I will need to do I think it's just important for everyone really um you, I think you need to be able to ask for what you need and to be part of society and really play a role in your community, your job, or anything that you're doing. Uh, advocacy is interesting for me because I remember when I was younger, all the way up to kind of my beginning time in high school, when I didn't feel like I knew, well, I mean, one, I didn't know how, uh, and two, advocacy was never really a concept uh, because I was told very often that I could ask for what I needed, but I didn't really know what that meant or how to go around looking for it. Um, so when I first found out that advocacy was something that I could do and it was something that 
would help people around me get to know me better and get to understand my needs better. Um, it was actually almost, it was quite liberating actually to realize that I didn't have to wait until somebody said, oh, this is what he needs or somebody to ask me what I needed and then tell them. Uh, it was very possible for me to, um, in fact, figure it out on my own, do the investigating I needed to find out what I need and then put it together and talk about it. So I, I actually, I do enjoy um, these kinds of conversations when we do talk about different needs and um, steps that certain places or people need to take to make sure that um, others are included. That's so interesting, Clement, because I think I have struggled pretty much most of my life with asking for help. So even though I totally appreciate and have to advocate for myself, I, oh, I will avoid it yeah. if I can. I will, I will take the harder road and try to figure it out on my own or, yeah. oh, it's hard. It, it is, it is hard. And I think it, it requires a lot of humility to realize that yes, sometimes we do need help because we're all human. But I, I think when my, I, I, if there's one thing I'm grateful for that my counselor did from back in high school was he really hammered that in to me uh, right from the get-go really was that um, I don't need, because also because of the cultural upbringing I had where uh, self-help was admired and the more you could do for yourself, the better people respected you. Mm -hmm. Where my counselor said, you know, you don't have to, you know, especially if you're feeling like you're not being accepted or you're not being treated well in the way you want, well, how are people supposed to know that you want to be treated a certain way or you need certain pieces of help if you don't say it? Um, you know, and he yeah. said, is, is the reason you don't want to ask because you don't feel you need it or because you're too proud to? And that floored me because I was like, well, I guess it is kind of my stubborn streak which still exists and uh, so I I struggle with the same thing as well uh I definitely haven't gotten rid of that like in in ingrained tendency to not want help mm -hmm. um I'm just thankful that I have a lot of people around me who are constantly on my case about the fact that it's okay and sometimes is necessary yeah I think for me it's that like I so want people to see my capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so when I need help because of my blindness, it's like, uh, it's like rubbing up yeah. against that. It, it feels like kind of like that yeah. rubbing against a barrier that is, is already there and you don't want to make it any more obvious than it already mm -hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting that like you guys are kind of more um, reluctant self-advocate or not reluctant, but kind of struggle with it in the sense that it's kind of a, wanting to be self-reliant whereas like I'm more of a just I'm reluctant to do it because I'm nervous or because I don't like ruffling feathers mm. yeah there's definitely that well, part and too. That, that, is, that is too right because you don't want to rock the boat and sometimes when you advocate uh for changes to happen that does mean kind of shaking things up a little bit um, I love what you said Clement about yeah. it was the first time you realized you could take the lead, like you didn't have to wait for somebody to offer you help, but you could yeah. actually figure out what you needed. I love that. That's so empowering. Yeah. But then, you know, like the second half of that was, is the part that I struggle with is to ask, you know, once I figure it out, because yeah, I, I can, I can, like, I, I can look at a situation 
and figure out what I need pretty quickly. Um, but whether I have the humility to ask for it and say, and admit to myself that I actually do need the help is, you know, something I think is another step that I still have to work on quite a bit. So, I mean, advocacy is a big word that sounds really like, I don't know, legal or something, <laughs> but really it's just asking for what you need. So I just wanted to make that clear for anybody who's listening. We're just talking about like, you know, in terms of accommodations or in order for things to be accessible or in order for us to participate. Okay. So we've all got a story to share and I'm sure we all have many, many stories of times when we had to advocate. Um, Clement, do you want to go first and tell us about yours? Sure. Um, so I, the, the story that always comes to mind when I think about advocacy um, is, is my journey with Aikido and martial arts in general, because I took a long time uh, to kind of get into a space where I could do it um, without feeling like the odd one out. So, you know, it, it started kind of back in, I'd say 2009 when I was about 16 and I wanted to try a certain martial art. So I would send emails out to places that were local and, you know, it was, it was hard because I'd never done it before. So it took a lot of research, um, you know, looking up the martial art, watching videos, asking people what it looked like, you know, thinking about whether it would be possible or not. Um, and then figuring out how I was going to try and convince people that I could actually do it. And so I emailed a couple places, um, you know, basically telling them that this is what I, uh, this was the, this was the case that I was visually impaired. I was a young adult who wanted to do martial arts, uh, and telling them that based on what I researched and what I understand, these are the accommodations I need for this particular martial art. And over and over and over again, there were just kind of polite responses, uh, that said, well, we're not really sure. Uh, and you can come take a look if you like, and we'll see what we can work out. And then that never really took off. Uh, some other places said, well, sure, we'd be happy to have you, but we think you're only suitable to learn half the curriculum uh, or 60% of the curriculum. Um, and so it took me a couple of years to find a martial art that I could do because the instructor at the time said, well, you know, it's mostly done solo anyway. So as long as you can do the movements, uh, there's no reason why uh, you can't do it. And so I, I went and did that, did that particular martial art for a year or so. Uh, and then I just, I, I wasn't satisfied. And so I went to look again for another martial art. And uh, the next one took me about three years to find, because again, the same, same thing happened. Um, dojos and clubs would say no. Uh, some just didn't, flat out didn't respond. Um, and one specific place I went to, um, they told me that, you know, they didn't think it was a good idea because it would be dangerous uh, for everyone around me, including myself. So it would be better if I pursued another avenue instead. Um, so, you know, that I, that was four or five years of trying and it was getting really starting to get frustrating. And so I, I gave up for quite a while, uh, for probably about a year and a half or so. And then I emailed, I decided to pick it up again because I was bored and everybody else around me was finding creative ways to work out. And I was like, you know what? Maybe this martial arts thing can still work out. Um, also, ever having met Johnny Tai, who's been uh, a guest on some of our things before, um, you know, and after him telling me that all I have to do is just keep looking and eventually I will find 
the right one. And so I, that kind of gave me motivation to try again. Um, and it was the same kind of idea, you know, emailing them again, telling them that I was interested uh, based on what I knew of the martial art, this was what I needed and whether they'd be interested. And so I got, uh, got an email back saying, well, we've never actually taught a blind student before, but you know, if you're willing to come try it, you know, we'll, we'll, we're willing to try and work with you and let's see what we can figure out. Um, and maybe we can all learn from each other. And so that was really kind of the breakthrough, I'd say. Uh, they were very happy to ask questions. And because I knew what the martial art conceptually was like, um, I could e more easily explain things if I didn't need. And again, it kind of taught me that, you know, like I said earlier, in addition to advocating and finding out what I need, that asking for help was perfectly fine. Um, and that you know, as, as a beginner, especially, I was expected to ask for help and not try and figure out everything on my own. Um, so that was my kind of, I guess, I guess is so far it's the biggest, uh, success story for me, uh, in terms of a self-advocacy journey that took a really, really long time, uh, but paid off after it worked out. Must be hard to convince somebody to give you a chance when it's something you haven't done before and you don't even know yet. What... Yeah, exactly. Like it's kind of like trying to sell yourself, you know, without <laughs> knowing all the details because there's certain things, you know, about any physical activity, like Sean, you know this well, is that you can't really understand what it's like until you actually you do it. it. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was very hard. It was trying to write an email in a way and word things in a way that had some appeal or would leave room for people to actually consider the possibility that I actually knew what I was talking about. And then once you start, they've given you this chance. I know for me, I would feel kind of like, I don't want to ask for yep. too much extra. Like I don't yeah. want them to regret their decision. Right. Yeah. There, there was, there was a lot of pressure. And the thing with, the thing with this, uh, you know, when it, when it ended up working out, I remember the one thing that made me feel so much at ease after a couple months um, I remember the first time I went into the dojo and they, 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 you know, the instructor very kindly said to everybody, oh, this is Clement. He's new. Uh, he can't see. So let's, let's, let's all take care of him. And I was like, oh boy. Uh, what, like, little what cringe, if, little cringy, I, little, little, little cringy. And then a couple months later, you know, a couple weeks later when we had a few new people join, they said the same thing. Um, mm. But, you know, of course they could see, but it wasn't about that. It was just, you know, they're new. They right. haven't done ever done martial arts before, so let's take care of them. And I went, it's not oh. about the blind thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're just very good at reminding each other to take care of people who come for the first time. Uh, so that was also really liberating because it kind of took that pressure off mm -hmm. for me. And so, you know, I, I would say that, you know, based on that experience, the 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 advocacy thing and the pressure has to go both ways it's up to us to explain what we need but it's also up to whoever or wherever we're advocating to uh you know to have a mindset that allows the advocacy to happen in the first place nika why don't you tell us your story mine is about travel back in the day when you know that was a thing and we were allowed <laughs> to do that um but i've always loved traveling and whenever we had school trips and opportunities I would always take it and my EA would always have to go with me that was just kind of the expectation before I would whenever I travel I was either basically with my family 
or my EA came and she wouldn't come just as a general chaperone, but she would always be my personal chaperone. And the first time my school offered a Europe trip, I was really lucky and I'm super grateful that I was able to go twice. But the first time that I was able to go, I started to advocate for myself like I learned those skills through blind beginnings and I was translating it towards more academic standing up for myself in terms of academic supports but I wasn't comfortable translating it to like other extracurricular things so when my parents basically said okay like your EA is going to come with you I kind of was just scared to say anything and um you know, there was a lot like, I'm pretty sure like they threatened the principal to like not send me if they didn't um, send like my EA as a, my personal chaperone. And when I went there, it just wasn't a great experience. Um, she would kind of shadow me. She made me feel like I was a burden for all of my friends who were guiding me. And she would just like make me walk with her or not let me try certain things that she perceived as dangerous. So then when I was 16 and I was able to go to Europe with my choir, I basically just put my foot down and I was like, okay, I do not, I do not want her to go with me. And before that, I did talk to other people in the Blind Beginnings community and they basically said, you know, it's totally possible for you to go to Europe without a personal chaperone. And they kind of made me think like I don't have any extra medical issues that need extra care and I don't need any specific help I don't need extra help with things that other people don't anything that I do need help with is something that any of the chaperones on the trip could help um I don't need a specific like vision specialist to go with me um so that's kind of what basically pushed me to advocate to be able to go by myself and during this time, I also just felt like I accomplished a lot in terms of extracurricular activities that people never thought I could do. So that kind of also motivated me even more. And I had to not only stand up for myself in terms of school, but also my parents. And the school part was actually easy. So I was kind of intimidated by the principal. So I went to talk to my choir teacher who was one of the main organizers. And I said, you know, I really don't want my EA to be with me on the trip. Um, last time I went to Europe, it just wasn't a great experience. And she said, okay, you will still have to be in a chaperone group because all like there were six or seven chaperones and we were all divided in groups of 10 and we were pretty close. So she said, you know, I could be in her chaperone group and that Basically, it was up to me to ask if I ever needed help, but she wouldn't do any extra like hovering or anything. It would be up to me if I had a problem to then tell her. And that made me really happy. And then my parents, that was kind of a different story because especially my mom did want me to have a personal chaperone. She felt a lot more safe. She was worried that if I ever got excluded from anything, or if I ever got lost, like I could, you know, have a backup plan. And I basically told her that I, everything I accomplished, like with dance and with singing and just with, you know, swimming and sports and 
just all the presentations and stuff I've done with Blind Beginnings, I'm like, you know, this is all like training for this. And I've been to Europe before. I've been to airports. I know how to navigate it. And I know what I'm doing. I'm super organized. Like I know how to take care of myself. And after some convincing, I was basically able to convince my mom that I could go. And it was great. That's so interesting that the parent was harder than the school. (laughs) I think the school was kind of happy in the sense because they had to pay extra money for a personal chaperone to go with me. But in this case, it's like, oh, we get to save money. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. I love that. And how was it? Honestly, it was, you know, nothing went wrong at all. I had a small friend group in choir that I hung out with. Um, I didn't get lost at all. I was able to do everything independently and follow along. Nice. Love that. That's awesome. It's cool that your teacher was willing to kind of be that ally for you. And, you know, that probably assure the school as well. Like she can be in my group. I'll be responsible, but also not hovering and just be there when you needed her. That's great. Yeah, totally. And, you know, after that, I think it opened a lot of doors in terms of like, I traveled fully by myself without a group um, to Toronto before, after that. Um, And I don't think that I would have been able to do that if it wasn't for that one school experience. Yeah. Colby, tell us your story. For me, um, currently, I've been um, working with a direct sales company and so that's been a really new experience for me so a lot of what I do is marketing and selling so for me to be be able to uh, access any of the graphics or trainings I needed to advocate and let um, other people on my team know that in order for me to be able to use um, marketing tools and whatnot they need to be described or um, I just needed to have more details on what they were um, because it was important to me that I can know what the pictures are or if there's videos that are just video no sound or no um sorry doesn't have like people talking um and I felt that that was really important to me so that I could um access those as an equal participant and um yeah so I had to do that and I still um once in a while I will have to remind people to you know add a text description or um, just post what the item or the graphic says. Um, and then also it's been really cool because a lot of people on my team have now gotten the habit of even just doing it without me asking. So that's really cool. And um, I was just on another training a couple of days ago and without me knowing or um, even realizing um, one one of the presenters said, oh, and with this, um, we were talking about using Printrest. And I guess there is actually a feature built right in that you can add text 
to your images. And she pointed that out to us and said, you know, for Kulvi and for any of our other visually impaired breaths, please use this. And I just thought that that was really cool and um, super inclusive. And I feel like my team is super supportive and really accepts me um, for who I am and happy to make any accommodations that I need to in order or in order to have like an equal opportunity to sell and market. That's awesome. Was there any apprehension when you first wanted to join? Were they worried about how you would be able to do this being blind? I don't know if they were really worried about me, but they definitely weren't sure like how they were going to be able to accommodate me. Yeah. So I think just talking and having really an open communication um, has helped a lot with that. So my story, um, and I was realizing when I was thinking about which story that I really do live in a nice, comfortable, blind bubble, <laughs> working for a blindness organization. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I, I, this doesn't happen to me as often as it used to, which is, it, that's probably just because of my circumstances, but I wanted to join a gym in my neighborhood and we had moved and there was a gym that was walking distance from my house and it was reasonably priced. And I had, I actually like, I knew gyms are hard to navigate, like weights and machines that have touch screens and things like that. And so I knew it would be easier if I had a gym buddy. So I actually posted on in a Facebook group, was anybody interested in being my gym buddy? You know, I can help you with accountability, but I would need your help to kind of navigate the gym. And I found somebody who was willing to do that. And, you know, somebody I didn't know, but was willing to give that a try. And then I went to the gym and they had like a seven day trial where you could go and try it out for free for seven days before you paid. And when they noticed that I was blind, it was such an issue. It was like the manager wanted to meet with me. I had to set up a meeting. The, my guide, the person that, that was going to guide me, it was our first time meeting. She was there for this meeting with the manager. So and like, you know, I was able to say, I have a guide. It's fine. I'm a Paralympic athlete, retired, but you know, I'm very comfortable in the gym. It's just that navigating around the gym can be tricky. People move things, setting the machines is, is tough if they're touchscreen. So I just need somebody literally to guide me from one machine to the next and maybe help with like how much weight I need on this one or whatever. And really, you won't even really know that I'm blind. I've got somebody here and that they just wouldn't, they just weren't comfortable at all. So um, I could have fought it. I could have, but I, in the end, I, I tried it out once during the free time. They sort of let us do that, but they, I could just, I just got the feeling that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be fun for me. It was going to be a constant battle. And sometimes it's worth educating and, and I guess pushing through. But in this case, we decided I live across the street from a good hike that involves like 500 steps up the side of a mountain. So we decided we would do that instead. 
<laughs> as we got to know each other instead of going to the gym. And I opted out. I didn't end up joining that particular gym. And I, I started shopping around for a different one. So sometimes, I mean, it's not a successful advocacy story, but it's a, a story of kind of the type of challenge that we face sometimes. And no amount of convincing. Like I talked to that manager guy for probably 45 minutes and he just wasn't. And then, and then we did work out and he could see me doing what I was doing in the gym. And he still had, had concerns and his concerns were liability, which is something we hear a lot. Um, Something might happen. I might get hurt or maybe something I do might impact another person in the gym. And he didn't want to deal with any sort of um, yeah, anything like that happening. So was very, very frustrating. And I was surprised because I do kind of live in this, you know, I was, I was a Paralympic athlete. And so I've had lots of experience working out in gyms, but often it's organized by maybe BC blind sports or something related to the para program. So I never really had to make that fight before this was like, and usually bringing a gym buddy is good enough. As long as you have a sighted person with you, they're pretty happy about that. So yeah, it was challenging. Well, it, it's interesting you mentioned that it's, you know, it, it wasn't a successful advocacy story, but I think that's part of the, I think that's one thing that's often left out in the advocacy conversation when we talk about it, especially with young people, is we always talk about what it's like when it works. Uh, I don't I don't think we kind of acknowledge the fact that sometimes self-advocacy just doesn't work. Um, because the, yeah, you know, like like you described with the gym, um, as as I found out a couple of years ago with the ESL program that I wanted to get into, that sometimes it you know hence hence why I said earlier that it kind of has to go both ways, where they the other side has to be willing to make enough space for that conversation to happen, and I think a lot of the times people just don't, um, and it doesn't matter how much you pr- like you could prove that you're perfectly capable right in front of them with them watching. Um, but, you know, some people will just not, they won't see whatever's right in front of them. There are definitely absolutely people that are willing to like, geez, I've never done this before, but I want to figure out a way that we can make this work. Some people even see it as like a fun challenge. Oh, okay. How are we going to make this work for you? And they really get excited and go over the top with coming up with ideas of how to make it accessible. And then there are just some people who just can't and won't budge, right? They've got yep. their view and doesn't matter what you do or say. Yep. And I think I can read that after 40 something years on this planet. I think I can tell when it's worth fighting and pushing and when it's just not. Yep. There, there's definitely a time for both. And, and it's definitely, I think, an acquired skill in learning how to read the signs um, of whether it's going to work or not. Um, but I, I think it's a huge part of the conversation that sometimes doesn't get focused on maybe as much as it should. There's also, I mean, I w- it w- this is just a joining a gym. It wasn't like a course I needed to graduate or a job I had trained for my whole life or, you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes there are channels you can, you can go above someone's head. You can, you can, you know, sort of, you can fight, you can fight 
the discrimination argument, you can make a human rights complaint. You know, there are things you can do. Of course. If if it's important, like it just wasn't. It wasn't that important. There are other gyms, but still frustrating, right? Especially yeah. like being able to access a gym that I don't need to take a bus to, you know, when you can't drive, mm-hmm. that that matters and that yeah, limits the number, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of looking, listening to the stories and thinking, are there commonalities and well, there, I didn't really notice commonalities aside from the whole, I think, dangerous. Clement, you mentioned that people were, uh, some of the martial arts studios were worried that it would yeah. be dangerous for you to join. So that's similar to my liability. Yeah, yeah that- li- I mean, li- liability was the key phrase, right? But that is, I think, especially for anything physical, that'll often be the first, cha- the biggest challenge that comes up will be, well, is it safe? And what they mean is, don't know if our insurance covers that or not, you know? So. Mm-hmm. I think the fear that Nika's mom had about sending her off to Europe by herself without, (laughs) without her own chaperone is, is related to that in some way, right? She was worried that you might get hurt or lost or something. Yeah. A lot Um, of it is cultural. Like, you know, like when my mom was, um, I think only 12 or something, she went to England for like a couple weeks or something um so I don't think it was like an age thing I think it definitely was more of that kind of disability factor because I was much older than 12. Mm -hmm. Well when I moved to England for six months I was like 25 and my parents were terrified so yeah I don't know if it's cultural I think I mean it might be but it's just I think being a parent you you're scared right you're I can say being a parent, when you have a baby, it's kind of like that little person is a part of you walking around in the world. It's terrifying all the time. So my kid can see and I'm terrified all the time. Every time he leaves my sight, I'm sort of like, hope it's going to be okay. And I think when your child goes to another country on another continent, like that's, you know, in defense of, of the parents, I know it, I know also how frustrating it is. And my, yeah, my parents were like, why do you want to go do that for? What do you want to go there for? <laughs> Isn't there somewhere closer you could go? But in the end, they did let me go. I mean, they couldn't stop me. I was a grown up, but <laughs> um, Clement, one thing you mentioned, how knowing Johnny Ty, knowing another blind martial artist kind of showed you that this was worth fighting for, that this was possible, right? Is that a pun? No. <laughs> did I make a pun? Yes, oh. you did. You said another blind martial artist who showed me this was worth fighting for. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Okay. I think we need to keep, need to keep that. You didn't, even, you didn't even realize you made it. No, I didn't. Uh, carry on. Well, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Like how just seeing well, somebody doing it, did, like that must have been a bit in, a bit helpful in your pursuit? Yeah. Um, so like, you know, for, for me as someone who the, the most martial arts exposure I got by myself was, like I said, doing martial arts solo uh, because the, the, the particular art we did was, every, yeah, everybody was in the same room, but um, because we were using swords, you know, nobody actually, it wasn't a martial art where anybody actually clashed with each other. It was all routines and forms and patterns, um, which, you know, I could, I could learn well enough. Uh, and because I didn't have to worry about coordinating with anybody else, at least not at the low level I was at, uh, it wasn't really a big deal. And I remember meeting Johnny, and I, I talked about I talked to him about all of these things because both of us will, you know, but both both of us will talk about martial arts forever if you let us, mm-hmm. uh, as everybody here well knows. 
you know, so I, I remember the first time we actually hung out and he asked me to spar with him. And for people who don't know, sparring is just basically when two people practice, usually free form, uh, fighting against each other, but, you know, at a slower speed and um, not, you know, not at full strength and things like that. So, you know, I remember when, he, when we did it um, and he showed me, um, you know, because the, the number one thing about martial arts is, well, if you can't see, then how are you going to see somebody coming or how are you going to defend yourself? Um, but what he told, you know, what he showed me was that reflexes are much more important than being able to see. reflexes and, and anticipation are much more important than being able to actually see something coming. And so that that was a breakthrough for me because I was like, wow, OK, so what I thought was possible um, actually is possible that it doesn't matter whether I can see somebody's punch or kick or grab coming in. Um, and it's also possible to move while not hurting anybody else who's around watching or also practicing uh, if you pay attention. So it, it definitely was, it was one of the most helpful things I would say uh, for sure. It, it gave me more motivation to keep going because it did show me that it was possible to do. Yeah. And for some of these things, if it's something you've never done before, you can you can start to doubt yourself in that advocacy process like yeah, all these people saying are you sure you're going to be able to do this and yeah, you're like mm. especially when people start to give you reasons why you can't mm -hmm. um and you don't have any well and you don't have anything to hold up against it and so you part of me kind of went well maybe i can't oh, maybe maybe they're right like maybe i shouldn't be you know doing flips and throwing other people around because maybe i will hurt somebody yeah um because i didn't know any different at that point the only sport i played up to that point was goalball and that was of course tailored that's of course is tailored for blind people there's not a lot of human contact per se um unless you're not a good player unless you're not a good player <laughs> <laughs> which i think we've I think we can, we can i've had some collisions that. in my day <laughs> yeah so so have i but you know like the idea is to not yes uh, it's not supposed to be a contact sport uh, yeah so it, you know so it, it was kind of understood that you know people just didn't intersect with each other unless it was by accident mm -hmm. um so it was safe whereas you know marsh i so i didn't ever think about it in terms of well can i be thrown around and throw other people around at the same time you know with all these you know with let's say you know 10 other people moving in close proximity without hurting each other. You know, that wasn't something I ever thought of. So when people started telling me I couldn't, uh, yeah, there were definitely times when I kind of started thinking, you know, maybe maybe they're right. Like, what if, what if it is dangerous? Like, what if I get hurt or worse? Like, what if somebody else gets hurt? Um, you know, and, and the, the worst thought I, ha I remember I had was, you know, I wouldn't mind taking the risk if I got hurt because, you know, I, I wanted to try it. Um, but it would be super mortifying to you know go to the dojo the first day uh and have someone end up hurt because i was too klutzy or because i didn't know what i was doing or because i couldn't or you know worse because i made an obvious mistake that had to do with being blind mm -hmm. uh, so meeting johnny was it was really big for me because um it, it did kind of show me that yes like that all those things that are seen as visual are less visual than people think um, it's just that most people can't imagine an alternate way to do it. So it was up to people like, and you know, it was, and he said this to me as well. He said it was up to people like him and I to 
discover those alternate ways and then share them uh, both with sighted people and other blind people. This is why I always say like it's so important to have older role models who have life experience that you can look up to who can Absolutely. help you. Absolutely. There's there's no there's no doubt about that in my mind. And that's so yeah, that's important. part of this podcast, right? Yeah. Like telling mm-hmm. as many stories as we can about different people's experiences just to like, I know for me, when I've heard that somebody who's blind has done a certain thing, it it just is like, oh, add that to the list of things we can do. Cool. <laughs> Even if it's something I would never do in a billion years, it's like, oh, somebody's climbing Mount Everest. Somebody's on a reality TV show. Somebody's whatever, right? Let's talk, um, what advice would you give for somebody who is blind or partially sighted needing to advocate for themselves? I think kind of one of the things is knowing, you know, it's like to advocate or not to advocate and kind of knowing what situation to do it just because that was something that was a huge learning curve for me. And my personal advice is for things such as school or employment that are kind of the necessities, I would say it is definitely important to advocate for yourself in those situations. And when it comes to extracurriculars, um, I would say if it's something super important, like for example, dance was really important to me or having a you know good time when I went to Europe, those things were really worth it for me and they were worth fighting for. Um, whereas kind of for you, Sean, like your story with the gym, like that, you know, you said you found kind of an alternative with the um, hike near your house. So it's mm-hmm. kind of kind of, you know, figuring out what's really worth it. And I think that's a huge learning curve. And once you get past that, it'll be a lot easier because then if you're trying to advocate for every single little thing and not picking your battles, it can be super exhausting. I, I would totally echo Nika's point about no, knowing when to knowing when to advocate and when not to. Um, you know, it's it's like it, it's it's one of those things that I've actually. It's funny that Aikido has taught me really well is that sometimes you can stand in place and take it, and sometimes the best thing is to just get out of the way and go in a different direction. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of a incident. My son's kindergarten end of year. We went to the class and the the teacher showed a slideshow of photos of the year of all of the kids to music. (laughs) So I just sat there while it played and it was like, oh, it was long. It was like nine minutes or 11 minutes. It was long and didn't get anything out of that and felt left out. But I wasn't really, it wasn't really appropriate for me to say, hey, can somebody describe all these photos to me? Or, hey, teacher, this isn't accessible. Like I'm left out here or any of those things, right? It just, I just had to kind of sit there and I could have afterwards maybe asked him to send me a copy and maybe sat down with somebody, another mom of a kid in the class and gone through it. But the moment's passed now, you know, it's sort of like after the fact. So again, I didn't do anything as we have this conversation. I'm like, Ooh, maybe I'm not very good at advocating. I keep coming up with examples where I chose not to, but it just didn't. Yeah. I I would say, but that's, that's, those are examples of when to, you know, not, because I I think the other thing in addition to burnout is, you know, I, I, I can't speak for everybody, but I don't want to come off as demanding for every mm-hmm. little single thing that happens in my life. 
Yeah. You know? same. Like if if, yeah. if I get if I get bad service at a, at one restaurant, you know, once a year. I don't want to be the guy who makes a stink every time it doesn't work out or every time someone doesn't come check on me every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, I have an example of like the airport um, when I was coming back from Ontario, they put me on one of those, I don't even know, like golf carts, yes, whatever they're called. <laughs> um, and those drove me crazy. And for a while I did kind of put up a bit of a stink about it. Like, you know, I'm like, really like I'm okay. Or even just, going to Ontario they constantly wanted me to hold on to their arm when I said I could just follow and use my cane and for the first like few minutes or so I did kind of say like you know I insist like really and eventually I just let it go because I knew that if I kept you know going on I would get angrier and angrier and then probably do something that I would regret um and I've you know I just you know I would lose my temper and just a logistical thing, like Clement said, there was an elderly couple as well on there with me. They probably didn't want to like, you know, assist like all of us separately. One person could just push the golf cart and take all three of us there instead of having like multiple people. So I kind of, you know, just went along with it. Well, and and it's sometimes it's realizing too that, you know, if you do by some chance manage to force your way in, if you're not wanted there, it's not going to be a good experience regardless. Yeah. Right. Like, like Sean, yeah. like your story, like your story with the gym, mm-hmm. um, you know, sure. Maybe you, you could have made a human rights complaint. You could have gone over their heads to, you know, if it was, if it was a chain, you know, you could have gone yeah. to a, a regional manager or something, but even if you had gotten in there, nobody would want you there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be stressed out every time yeah, I go and, in the gym. And, oh, I stub my toe. Are they going to be yeah. worried? <laughs> uh, and and for me, you know, the, the the experience that I have with, you know, deciding not to fight a battle. It, I mean, it, it was it was a school program um, and it was a it was a program that ended up being about whether I had a personal assistant or not. And I said, I can't afford to pay the extra on top of the tuition. Um, and they said, well, you know, we can't you know, we, we don't think you can do it. And I, w- without a personal assistant, I said, well, if it, that's what it comes down to, then I'm not going to, um, I'll find another program or another path or something. Um, and I did have people who said, you know, you could make a human rights complaint. You could uh, go to the, uh, you know, some authority or other. And I said, sure, I could, but I don't need the double stress of having to complete an intensive program at the same time and prove to these people that I don't need an EA. And every time that I mess up, have them say, see, what did we say? You know, yeah. that, that wasn't something I felt I had to deal with. And I think that's, that's important to think about as well. Just if you're not wanted there, even if you manage to kick the door down and find a way in, it's not, you know, it won't, it won't, the experience likely won't be worth the effort you made. Any other advice for somebody who's facing barriers? If it's really important to you, then just keep keep on with it. Eventually, something will come of it. Don't be afraid to put your energy somewhere else if it's not as important to you as maybe something else is. Advocate when you feel like you need to, and maybe don't push it when you know or you feel that it's not worth it. Yeah, I think I'd just add one more thing is that to, that it's okay to fall sometimes. 
um, I think that the the important thing is to keep getting up and trying. And this kind of alludes to the, the blog article I wrote a while ago uh, on our Blind Beginnings blog about um, falling and getting back up multiple times uh, because you may you may have you know out of 10 attempts at advocacy you may have seven that fall short and three that you know actually work or out of 10 advocacy attempts to one thing maybe none of them work um, but you are all even with the failures uh, and the attempts when advocacy doesn't work you will still learn things and you will still um, gain either new new knowledge or new skills that make the next attempt to advocate just that just that little bit better as, as long as you have the support around you to pull you back up and the willpower to pull you back, to pull yourself back up it's perfectly okay to fall and mess up while you're advocating it may not seem like that in the moment but looking back a few years later then you know, definitely. And if you're like me and you don't like to ask for help, I, I think something that I'm, something that I do is just, you know, do I want to miss out on this experience or do I want to have less of a full experience or do I want to put my pride aside and ask for help? Right. It's mm -hmm. like, cause I'm sure there are things I have missed out on because I I just didn't want to put someone out. I didn't want to be that demanding person. I didn't. And ugh, yeah, life's too short. Like we deserve to have the same opportunities as everybody else. And there are a lot of people out there that are willing to give a little extra so that we can have that. So I just need to like practice what I preach. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't mean like, I feel like people kind of get the wrong ideas, like, with advocacy, we're not trying to advocate for things to be easier for us than everyone else. We don't like, at least for me, I don't expect things to be easy. I just don't want things to be difficult specifically because of my visual impairment or face oh, access issues because of my visual impairment. Such very, a good that's point. Very well put. That's very yes. well put. We're not asking for an easier route. We just, we need the extra accommodation in order for it to be an equal route, an equal path, right? This has been so great. I so appreciate you guys being here and sharing your experiences. I think that our listeners will learn a lot. Just thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Oh, thanks for letting yeah. us talk. And just to put it out there, next week will be our anniversary of one year since we launched our podcast. And we've got a few special things planned. So make sure you tune in next week. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please email us at limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Share our podcast with a friend. Tell somebody about it. Give us a rating, like, and subscribe, and please join us next time. This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted, along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, 
visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time.